What's up, everyone? It's Brian Horning here from Exact IT Solutions with my cohort, Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers IT down in Miami, Florida. How are you today, sir? I am doing great, Brian. How about yourself? I, I am doing well myself. You know what? I feel really bad because I forgot to check my mic and see if I'm using the right mic today. Uh, I am. So we are good. So technical difficulties. I am not a podcast expert by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I do my best. So welcome to episode 20. Are we at episode 20 now? I believe so. Yeah. Man, we are getting up there. It's like, uh, so this week, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to jump into um, some uh, uh, article that was written uh, by the Credit Union National Association around cyber attack risks and how this one, I guess, person or company got hit. And, and uh, we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to jump into uh, a few cyber attacks that we're going to dissect a little bit and what it means to you and your business and what you can learn from it. Uh, and then I want to jump into a little quick uh, at the end here uh, about an FBI advisory that we have and then something about smart cities that um, uh, that the basically the CIA is given a big warning on. So I wanted to kind of cover that. Uh, but before we do, uh, how was your week, sir? You know, it was great. As last week, we talked about how I let go of a um, of a employee. Sorry, that's my Facebook. Sorry about that. So last <laughs> week, is it off? It's not Facebook. <laughs> go ahead and talk, Brian. All right, thanks, brother. Go ahead, you keep talking. You're good. Gone. I still hear it. Okay, it's gone. Okay. So essentially, last week, um, I unfortunately let go of one of my key employees, but um, I actually feel good about it because I was afraid that, you know, he kind of uh, knew everything about the company and about our clients and things like that. But the reason I feel great is because we went a whole week and we survived, you know, the, the world didn't blow up. We, we weren't lost about anything. And I'm confident um, that moving forward, we're going to, you know, our, our, our team is going to really do a good job in filling those shoes that, that he was filling. Oh, man. Um, that's nice. So there's not, there's, we don't, we didn't have a lot going on this week. Uh, like I said, T in the green room, um, you know, we're just, we're just plugging away here. I'm excited to get out of town next week. I'm going I'm going out of town the next two weeks uh, on some business trips. I'm very excited to get back to that. Um, <clears throat> I didn't realize how excited I would be, but I'm pretty amped up about getting out of town. I haven't really traveled out of the Philadelphia region since before, you know, when COVID started back in March of 2020. So I am super excited to get back on that horse, connect with my peers, connect with my, uh, my IT people. Uh, both down in Orlando, and then the next week I'll be in Austin, Texas. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. So it should be a lot of fun. Awesome. So um, so let's just jump into the content. But before we do, remember, people, we don't get paid for this stuff. We do it out of our own goodness of our own heart. Uh, we don't annoy you with commercials or promotions throughout the podcast. Uh, and we certainly don't get paid or run ads in any way, shape, or form. So if you could just do us a huge favor and share on our podcast, if you learn anything, if you're educated or enlightened, uh, sharing on our podcast not only helps other people find this content, but also helps Andre and I start to see what kind of content you guys like and what we can start to talk about on future podcasts as well. So give us a like, head over to the YouTube channel, subscribe or like it there. You are also on Facebook. You can like our Facebook page as well. And you could also download us on your favorite podcasting platform. So if you like to listen to podcasts while you work out, while you're driving into work, uh, whatever you're doing when you listen to your podcast, we'd appreciate it if you add us to your favorite podcast. So when we put out a new one, you get alerted. And we've been doing pretty good here. We're putting out one a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're, we're Like we said, we're up to episode 20 and we're real excited to it. And a big shout out to... Uh, Forrester's Jay McBain for putting us in the IT channels top podcast for 2021. 
We appreciate that accolade, sir. And we know that our peers voted us on that. So we know it wasn't just you. So we thank everybody in the IT community who promoted our podcast and let foresters know that we have one of the better ones out there. So thank you. We appreciate it. So I'm going to share my screen here, sir. And I'm going to, we're going to get into uh, talking about this uh, ransomware, or is it a, was it a ransomware attack? That mm -hmm. happened? You told me it was Ryuk, right? Yeah, yes. So we got a ransomware attack that uh, happened to a company. And Andre is going to give us, I don't know why, there we go. Andre is going to give us the lowdown on what happened here. So go ahead, take it away, Andre. And uh, what what happened here? Why are we why do we even want to talk about this? Sure, and I'll send you I just sent you a link to the one I'm about to talk about. That's gonna be for the next one you're showing. Oh, it's not this one? No. Got it. All right, awesome. So essentially um, we have a um, institution in Europe that's doing COVID-19 uh, vaccine research, et cetera. And they had an incident where they were not able to work for about three weeks because of a, a pretty much, I want to say it's a pretty much stupid reason um, where they had a student um, essentially was looking for some software related to data, data visualization. And what the student didn't want to pay the $100, and I'm sure it wouldn't have even come out of his pocket, but he did, He essentially didn't want to pay for the license. And he Googled and looking for this particular software, um, he looked for the, what is called a crack software. And that is when you're buying something unlicensed and, and there's been ways where the program can work without being purchased. So after he, um, he, he, he found the software, he downloaded the software and then his antivirus kind of pops up and says, hey, look, we don't think this is legit. Don't do it. So being, <laughs> so then he decided, you know what? Nope, I'm going to go ahead and continue. And he decided to disable the antivirus and um, let the installation continue. A couple of days later, there's issues with the network. Um, and that's when we have where we are now. So I'm going to, have you ever seen this before in your life? Like, have you ever seen anything like this before? I haven't. But the interesting thing is um, they, they, they actually got with Sophos, which is their security um, router vendor to investigate. So it's like, it's interesting because this is probably how it happens a lot of times. It's just a lot of times being reactive and not investigating exactly how it happened. But, but to hear that, a, you know, multi-million dollar industry and because somebody didn't want to pay a couple of hundred dollars for a license that wasn't coming out of his pocket and now they're in this scenario. So I have, I, I mean, I, I've worked with companies. I've, this, it's been a long time because a lot of companies don't really deviate from what we recommend that they do. But back in the day, this is used, was very commonplace. And I would imagine that with other IT companies and other MSPs, or if you don't work with a professional, there's probably a very good chance that you're, that you're doing this in your business. Like you're looking for free software, pirated software, downloading things off the internet and not paying for them. Um, this isn't as uncommon as one would think. Like I like I know we've walked into companies before and they've used we, you know, we do an audit of their office and every office installation in a 60 person company has the same key. Right. Right. So, you know, and then you find out like where'd you get the key from? And you know, they downloaded it off, you know, a peer-to-peer -peer network. And you know, the key was included in the in the zip file that also had like 20 viruses attached to it. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, I've, I've seen it before and I, I've seen it, I, I've seen it on a multiple uh, levels, but th this is what we try to teach companies that like you, number one, 
you can't do this stuff, right? And that's kind of the that's kind of like the elementary like analysis that you look at this and go, yeah, that's 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 pretty stupid, or you know, I wouldn't do that, or maybe somebody didn't realize you should do that, and it's like, oh, okay, now I understand why. But I've also seen it where employees not at a malicious or not trying to save a buck, but they're just trying to get work done. And they go out and they download a free tool off the internet because they think that free tool will help them do, you know, something that they're trying to accomplish in Excel or something like that. And they go out and they download it and they install it. And then the next thing you know, they have a virus. So have you ever seen anything like that? Cause I know I have like, it's like, why did you download this? And a lot of times they, like you ask them why they downloaded it and they tell you and you're like, well, that wouldn't have solved, that wouldn't have helped you with that. Yeah, I mean, I actually, funny enough, I had that incident about four days ago where one of our clients was looking for like um, something for graphics and they were looking for a graphic. They went on Google, they went on images, they downloaded the graphic and then our, our, you know, our red alert came on saying that there was something happening with this computer and then when we called them, same thing, like, yeah, I was just trying to download this. I'm doing a newsletter and I needed a, a graphic that says happy Monday. Yep. And, and that's literally how it goes down. I mean, it's it, people don't think that it's this easy and this silly, but this is how hackers achieve what they achieve. They literally do things like this that seem so silly or seem like, how would anyone ever fall for that? But this is like how like 60 to 70% of cyber attacks go down. So it's not, we're not talking about this one, are we? Yeah, yeah, we can. No, oh, okay. I don't know much about it. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to let you take off from it. So Next article we have up on the screen here, prepare for the next cyber attack. Three steps. Is this three steps that we agree with or three steps that we're going to tear apart? No, no, no. Three steps we agree agree with, and it's things that we've been saying since episode number one. Just to go back real quick to the last article we were sure. talking about, mm-hmm. this kind of also like a lot of, one of the lot of times when I'm um, talking with our clients, they always say, oh, no. Like the managers kind of put themselves or the supervisors or the owners put themselves in a pedestal to say, oh, no, me and my guys, we know better. We would never do stuff like this. Like, you know, like we don't need to be we don't need the protection type of thing. Mm -hmm. And this just and then I've even seen issues where where people are literally just trying to download a Microsoft like office application, for example, you know, for whatever reason. And I just did a Google search that says download Microsoft Office. And as you look in the Google searches, you see all of these weird websites offering it for only like $20, $30 for free. And this is, I just want to point out, this is the malware. They want you to, to download their software because they're going to put stuff on your computer. So, um, and then lastly, on this article, um, Brian, I have a question. How, how in the heck did they just be able to disable the antivirus? Like there should have been some type of system in place where an employee can't just decide to disable antivirus. <laughs> on their computer. That that was kind of weird. It's not weird. <laughs> I guarantee you more than 50%, 60% of population doesn't have a control or mechanism that, that requires some kind of a password to uninstall that software. Oh, so like, I mean, like one of the things that, that we employ as a strategy is obviously you know, just a Windows admin rights, right? Mm-hmm. And most endpoint software, antivirus software, once it's installed, or when you do install it, you can set an uninstall password. So that's another password that somebody needs to put in to just get that software off of there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't aren't aware that that is a feature or that exists within the endpoint protection. So even if somebody had the administrator password, as long as it's not the same as the uninstall password for the antivirus, they can't get the antivirus off of there or they can't disable it. So that's you know really important for people to know that that's out there. So you want to make sure that your IT professionals or the people looking at your IT have both protections in place. Um, the only thing that I'm aware of that that 
why you want to have that uninstall password along with the Windows password is because of this. The new versions of Ryuk are actually rebooting the systems into what's known as Windows Safe Mode. And when you go into Windows Safe Mode, you don't need usernames and passwords anymore mm -hmm. to uninstall software. You can just uninstall it. It doesn't even prompt you for it because the security part of the Windows doesn't load in Safe Mode. Right. So like back in the day when we dealt with malware all the time, one of the ways you would get rid of malware is by booting in the safe mode and running, you know, all these tools that used to get rid of all these viruses. Um, I remember Combo Fix, right? Yeah, yeah. Combo Fix back in the day. Uh, <laughs> you know, you had to run that in safe mode if you wanted to pretty much get anything rootkit wise or anything like that off of, off of a computer. Um, so <clears throat> if you have this password on your, uh, antivirus software, even in safe mode, it still requires that user, that password to be uninstalled. Right. So that's why it's important because the, the hackers are looking at how, when they go and attack somebody, how are they being successful and how are they being thwarted? Like, what are the things that are stopping them from, getting the files encrypted and, and presenting somebody with a, a ransom demand. These are the things that are in place that are preventing them. So they're changing their tactics and now they're writing their ransomware software to look and say, okay, is windows running in normal mode and is, and are admin rights in place on this account or is it a standard user and it doesn't have admin rights? Well, guess what? We're just going to tell the computer to reboot itself in the safe mode, which you can do using a PowerShell command, unless you're smart and you disable PowerShell, like we preach in, in, in this podcast and, and in my YouTube videos, I preach it all the time. If, if you don't need PowerShell running on a machine, you should just disable it. Yeah. It's just too powerful of a tool. Just disable it. There's ways you can disable PowerShell and, and not make sure you, that person doesn't have admin rights on the system or you can just re-enable it. But if it's a standard user... They don't have admin rights. You disable it as an administrator. Then if you need to run that tool, you can go back in and turn it on. But it shouldn't be running all the time on every computer that you have. Um, so, you know, making sure that you they can't do things like this, like boot you into safe mode and then remove your antivirus protection so they can then deploy the ransomware. And, you know, these are things that you need to be aware of. You know, a lot of people might look at, two passwords on a system is overkill, but no, there's a very good reason why you need to have that password on that, on that endpoint protection software as well, because you can circumvent the windows, you know, security by going into safe mode. Yeah. So, anything else? No, no, we're good. Cool. So this guy, uh, where, what are we talking about here? So first, yeah. cybersecurity should be viewed as an enterprise risk and demand the attention of most senior executives, starting with the CEO. Oh, this guy must be listening to our podcast. No. Uh, <laughs> so what do you, so what, what are your takeaways out of this out of this uh, particular article? Yeah, so although it's it's more towards the credit union, but everything he talked about can be just being you know related back to small businesses. Um, so first thing, like he said, it starts at the top level. If the CEO and the C-level uh, executives are not thinking cybersecurity, then it's going to just trickle down and the employees and users are not going to be thinking about that. So I really love that 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 um, that quote that he put there. Um, uh, second item that he talked about is um, knowing the strength and weaknesses of your own of your own programs. I think that's it's kind of. It's kind of like doing a, a SWOT analysis, but cybersecurity-wise for your business. Yeah, um, that plus having that independent assessment is one thing that mm -hmm. he mentions. Um, and this means if you're working with a managed service provider like the companies that we have, Andre, it means going to another company and getting an assessment. And yeah. your MSP should be okay with that. And the way that you want to do this is you don't want to do it as like, 
okay, we're going to bring in this third party to check up on you. And it'd be like a, like a cop or, you know, police or cop type situation where they're coming in to see, you know, see whether you're doing a good job or not. You want your, your IT provider, your IT director, your, your IT department or your MSP uh, to work with this assessor or this other IT company together so they can improve your security posture. It's not a gotcha type of exercise. It's a, let's just have somebody double check this. Your MSP might do a great job, might provide you with, you know, quarterly assessment reports and, you know, here's where we're going and here's everything that we've done and here's all the boxes we've checked and this is how secure you are. Um, we're at a point in time where you can't just rely on that one source uh, as a CEO because the expectation is, is that you are going to conduct an independent assessment of your cybersecurity program. Now, if you're running your own IT department with your own employees, you can just hire a company like an MSSP to do the independent assessment on your own staff. But it becomes a little trickier when you're outsourcing it to another company and now you're going to bring in a third company right. to assess the whole situation. So let me ask you this. As an owner of an MSP who manages companies, if this happened to you where you were managing somebody's cybersecurity, how would you feel about it and how would you approach it? You know, at, at when I originally heard about that concept a couple of years ago, like you said, I felt threatening because I thought that the company was going to come in and basically point out all the stuff that we're doing wrong or we miss. And they're just going to basically tell the report to say, hey, this guy sucks. You need to replace them and hire us. But now for the companies I've seen in, that I've worked with that are that do these independent um, reviews, it's, it's like you said, they're going hand in hand. It's like, hey, let's do what's best for the customer. And because and, a lot of times our clients actually do think that oh, if I just hire my MSP, that's it. Like they, they know everything. And it's like, hey, we can make our mistakes too. Maybe there is something that we need another set of eyes to look at. So uh, just for your information, um, Brian, and, and even for our, our audience, the next question is who pays for that? Because when I've brought it up to our client's attention, they're, they're telling us like, hey, I thought that's what I was paying you to do. And, and I think that also needs to be clear that that is a, that is a third party company that's doing this audit. Yep. Yep. And the company, obviously, unless. See, the problem is, is that that's that word independent, right? It's a real stickler. You as the MSP can't come to your client and say, hey, we work with this company over here and they provide third party assessments and they'll assess your environment and assess how we're doing on your cybersecurity. That relationship right there means you're not independent, right? Right. So it's on these companies to go out and hire their own chosen company that has nothing to do with anyone that's currently involved in their IT. And that's, that's really what it means. Um, is this overkill in your opinion? Because I, I, quite frankly, I don't, other than a, a handful of companies that we work with, the majority of them are not doing something like this. No, likewise, majority are not. And it's only because they don't want to pay for it. They just feel like, hey, if you tell me you're doing your best, I'll trust it. Because those guys are um, like, let me try to remember, I had one client last year, no, before COVID. And it was like about $10,000, like their price uh, of to go in and, and basically penetration tests and and look, you know, on the cloud services and things like that. So our client didn't, that particular client didn't want to pay for it. And this is the the, the kind of, this is the interesting thing. When somebody, I love in articles and somebody makes a statement and doesn't expand on it. Mm -hmm. He expands on what an independent assessment will do. But this is huge right here where he says right here. While you may have a talented team, now your team, again, might be in, internal or external. Bias exists when progress is communicated up the leadership chain. Or bias exists when, when lack of progress is communicated up 
the security chain, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to tell, you know, the person signing the paychecks or signing the checks that things aren't going well or things aren't going as quickly as, as planned or the risk or the gap isn't, hasn't been closed enough, you know, yet. Right. So as somebody who's on that team, you may be reluctant to reveal information to staff out of fear of retribution or, or disciplinary action or losing your job. So that's what we're talking about here. An independent assessment eliminates all that, right? Because they don't have skin in the game where you're you, anybody who's being paid to provide a management type service or, or manage your infrastructure or manage your cybersecurity, their skin in the game is the fact that they could lose that opportunity. They could lose that income. They could lose yeah. that contract. Um, and I've also seen it where it wasn't as intentional or malicious. The company just wasn't skilled enough or the people that were hired just weren't skilled enough to realize that they had issues. Um, so it can come out a lot of different ways. And I kind of wanted to highlight that for our business owners who are listening to really kind of understand what this looks like from your perspective as you're looking at your chosen IT people that are running your IT and your company, you know, that you think you have great people and that this stuff would never happen. But these are the things that you need to think about that could be happening that are hint, that are making things seem rosier than they really are. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's it. You got anything? Oh, and he did say in here, and this is a credit union one, and I want to point this out really quick. Um, equip your credit union. You can just swap that out with business because I think that this applies to all businesses with the ability to quickly detect threats and indicators of compromise and have plans in place to remediate them quickly. Now we've beat to death, you know, incident response plans and, and uh, making sure that you're monitoring the network, but they, they, he asked some interesting questions here and I, I would like you to, and I to kind of expand on these uh, as quick as we can. Um, sure. Are your network operations continually monitored to detect the lockdown, lockdown potential, potential threats before they can spread and do harm. Okay. So I'm a CEO. I, I am not a techie guy. I have no idea what this means. How the heck do I get my network operations continually monitored and locked down the potential threats before they spread? And that sounds really expensive to me. It's not, especially if you look at the other side where if, you did have a situation, how much more expensive that's going to be. We sure. do that. We do that at a very, like, for example, the continuously monitored, our company, as far as our employees are not a 24 seven, like, like our 10, 11 employees are, you know, eight to five, eight to six, but we partner with another company, which is what is called like a soft services. And they are after hours and they're essentially 24 hours and they're not that expensive to use a service like that, that will monitor the computers in the network pretty much 24 seven. Right. So, and I, and I, and I agree with that, but so just, if you're a business owner, what you're looking for here is you're looking for something called security operations center or SOC. So S O C not to be confused with SOC certifications or anything like that. Um, It's, it's known as, as security operations uh, uh, center, just like NOC, NOC, which is Network Operations Center, the difference is, is network just makes sure that the hardware and the software installed in your network is running optimally so you don't have downtime. Security Operations Center takes care of the security. They monitor your network and they detect and lock down threats before they can spread harm. If you have this in place, it's going to be infinitely better for you if you ever get breached because these guys can jump right in. They have alerts, they have ways to shut things down and stop the spread of things. Mm-hmm. So next one, is your team knowledgeable and informed about today's threat environment where vulnerabilities are being exploited across financial services sectors and what to watch out for? 
a sock won't do this, guys. So just 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 understand that a sock will monitor what you have, but they're not going to go unless unless you're paying for them to do it. But a typical sock service is just monitoring kind of what's going on, right? It's it's looking at the traffic from a thirty-five thousand foot level and looking for you know traffic that veers off the normal, right? So being knowledgeable about the vulnerabilities that are being actively exploited and how how what to look for and how to deal with them is more of a compliance and remediation type services which is more expensive than a sock would you agree yes yes okay so this is kind of like you know sock is is level 1 level 2 is, is now you have somebody actively scanning for vulnerabilities on your network identifying them and closing them, right? So anything you want to add to that before I move on to the next one? Yeah, I want to highlight the word knowledgeable because it's something that you actually um, taught me for my business where I need to be sure that my staff is not just stuck at their Windows 20, you know, 10 certification and right. that they're always continuing to improve and always getting certifications. They're going on Facebook groups. Uh, LinkedIn groups about security and learning what, you know, the alerts that are coming out. So just not staying in a bubble and thinking just because you got your education 10 years ago from one place, now all of a sudden you're the golden child and, you know, you can't be touched. So um, I think that's very important that always be learning. Yeah. And that's important for anybody who runs their own IT operations in their company with employees and doesn't outsource it because, now you're burdened with the task of making sure that your team and your bench strength stays strong and that you're getting the, this knowledge into your team or you're hiring the knowledge to bring into your team. Both, both of those options uh, can get very expensive if you're trying to do it on your own, which that's one of the advantages of hiring a managed service security provider to do this for you because they handle all of that. They handle, you know, the training, the certifications, the, the career growth of the technicians and the engineers in their team. So you don't have to, mm -hmm. right? So these are the advantages and these are the things that you need to think about if you're doing this internally. The other thing is if you're doing it internally, does your staff actually have the bandwidth to take this on, to do the training, to do the things? This stuff requires time. And it's it's very time consuming. Um, so, does your team have the have the knowledge to run the tools to find it? And then once they do find it, do they have the knowledge to patch it or or get rid of the vulnerability? Um, that's all stuff that has to be that has to be you know learned, and, and, and you have to gain that knowledge. Um, what I can tell you is a lot of guys don't necessarily want to make the jump from being the guy who makes sure your hardware and software runs, you know, your network administrator to a security guy. So you might have a really good guy who runs your network and he set everything up and everything runs smoothly. But when you task him with, okay, now you've got to handle our security. A, he might not be the right person for the job and B, he might not have any interest in getting in security and wanting to pile on, more training and more knowledge and more certifications to what he already knows. Um, the days of the jack of all trade in IT are are dying a slow death. Would you disagree with that or agree with that? No, I agree. I agree. So everybody, just like doctors, we're we're getting specialized in what we do. There's there's people good at programming. There's people good at networking. There's people good at security. You know, there's people good at project management um, and, and we're they're individualizing these different roles in IT now. Back in the 90s, I used to do all that crap. I used to do the network. I used to do the security. I used to do the contracts. I used to do, you know, report writing and stuff like that. Um, and it's rare that you're going to be asked to do all those different jobs in the IT world today. Like, it's become very specialized. So be aware of that as a business owner that you can't ask somebody in IT today to do all these things. This is going to require multiple 
employees, multiple individuals to take care of this stuff for you. Yeah. So last one here. Do you have a in, do you have a robust incident response plan to detect, contain, investigate, remediate, recover, and apply lessons learned when an incident does occur? Hmm. Important? Not important? Super. super. I mean, yeah. the 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 articles I hate reading about is that it, it took X amount of days or weeks for them to even realize that they had a problem, that something was sitting on their network. A malware was sitting on their network for weeks, just collecting the data. So I think it's so important that- um, well, That's not having the telemetry to find it. Once you do find it, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Who do right? you call, right? And if you haven't gone through setting up an incident response plan, which the key operative word there being plan, it means you took time out of your life to go write this down and, and put the steps and do the things and identify the people and the and the information that you need to have part of that plan. Because when something goes down, as I've mentioned before, thinking goes by the wayside. You're just reacting. And wouldn't it be nice to be able to pull out a piece of paper that tells you exactly what you have to do instead of trying to remember it out of your noggin, where chances are when you're under stress, you're going to miss things, you're going to forget things, and it's going to make your incident response go a lot longer than it probably should. Yeah. Yeah. So, just just like how yesterday was National Password Day, I think we should have like a national incident response day where we all just practice if the you know thing hits the fan, what, what should you do? I love it. I love it. I, I absolutely think we should do that. I mean, so next one we're going to do. Oh, look, we're on uh, YouTube here. I, I, I absolutely oh, wait, look. Do that. I, mean, I don't even know no. how to stop that, Andre. <laughs> so, so here we go. Uh, I'm going to skip over this one. We're going to jump into We're running a little long here on the conversation. Um, I just want to highlight this because we talk about it all the time. Ransomware supply chain attacks show no sign of abating. Uh, oh man, I'm I'm I'm. Uh, looks like I'm pay. Oh no, I'm not paywalled here. Good. So, Black Hat Asia happened recently. Mm -hmm. um, the tally from Kasper Kaspersky Labs. He's their top researcher. Um, he predicted the rise of ransomware in 2007. And today, ransomware has become a service that enables groups to join and deploy infrastructure and services to hit their victims. He said, noting the rise of ransomware 2.0, where files are not only encrypted, but also disclosed through data dumps. Uh, Vitaly said that some perpetrators have gone even further to tip off media to attract attention and exert more pressure on companies wow. that refuse to pay the ransom. Um, the latest trend now is to reach out to a company's customers to inform them that their data has been stolen. This will create the reputation that the company is incompetent to uh, and, and is to ruin their image, which negatively affects their business. What do you think about that? That is interesting about the media part, because, you know, back in the days when there was like journalism, real journalism and like the scoop, right? The journalist got that the first person who who put it on the newspaper before all the other newspapers or on the news before all the other stations. So like someone gets ransomware, someone gets attacked, the hacker basically gives them the information and then the, a story is created and they're the first one. So I think that's like, uh, I hate to say it's a marvelous idea because you know it's kind of illegal, but it's a marvelous idea. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, I guess one of the things I'm looking at, I just skimmed through this article quickly. Um, and the only thing that, that they're not mentioning that I want to mention, because they kind of highlight on the obvious, they're mentioning zero trust security model, which is a buzzword right now, multi-factor authentication, which is another kind of buzzword right now, um, kind of been around for a while. It's not really a right now buzzword. It's been a buzzword for a long time. Um, and I still think it's not being used enough. Um, but 
what we talk about with the supply chain attack, right? We talked about it before. You need to start doing assessments on your supply chain. If you're giving money somebody to help you deliver a service to a bigger client or b- deliver on a bigger contract, you better be checking, at least asking the right questions to figure out if they're even thinking about cybersecurity. And I think that that's what this is missing. And if and if uh, you don't want know what I'm talking about, without me going into what we went into on a couple of podcasts ago, go look up our previous podcast on supply chain attacks. I think it was episode 18 or something like that. Uh, go back to that episode and check it out. We we talk about supply chain in detail in that in that podcast. So moving right along, sir. Russian ransomware group. Uh, I'm I'm just getting yelled at by these websites. Uh, Russian ransomware group uh, claims credit for cyber attack on DC Metro Police. Any surprise here? Nope. (laughs) So I'm just going to ask a question. And the only reason I'm asking this is because you kind of know what I'm doing behind the scenes. I don't want to reveal it here. Um, But, you know, I have had conversations with people about certain things. And one of them is the difference between what's going on in the tactics used by Russians versus the tactics used by other countries, say North Korea and China, as an example. Okay. Why do you think it is, and I'm just gonna ask your opinion. I have my opinion that I'm not gonna share today, uh, but what do you, why do you think we're always reading about Russian ransomware groups and not Chinese ransomware groups? Or do you even agree with that statement? Do you agree that we read more about Russian ransomware groups than Chinese ransomware groups? I think (laughs) that's going to, that's a political one there. But I personally, I think because we do so much business with China that they cannot just point the finger, even if it is China, they just can't point the the finger at China. Um, And I don't know if that's what the the direction you're going there, Brian, but. No, I'm going in. We know about Rebel. We know about Ryan. Mm -hmm. We know about Babook. And I could go on and on. Mm -hmm. The biggest difference for me is is that the Russians deploy ransomware. The Chinese just sit on your network and spy on you. That's my own opinion. Okay. Right? And that's the difference I see between the two threat actors. And if if I were to even throw the United States into the mix, because I'm not saying – we're not guilty of this, but the United States probably is more like China than Russia. We're like, we're not running around the point ransomware around, you know, as a state sponsored organization. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you can disagree with me and just say so, but I just feel like when I read news articles, I'm reading about Russian hacking groups deploying ransomware and I'm not really reading Chinese hacking groups reading about ransomware. The Chinese were responsible for the Microsoft Exchange stuff. They had a foothold on a lot of companies for a long time and did nothing Mm -hmm. but spy. Mm -hmm. When that information got out in the wild, then we saw ransomware attacks being exploited through that vulnerability. But the Chinese were playing with that vulnerability for a long time before it hit the street. Right. No, no, that's it's very true, and, and the, the Chinese government, in, in in that aspect, has always been known to be patient, you know, um, and 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 um, and I think that's a great point. I think also money-wise, and the economy in Russia versus in China, where these hackers um, need—I don't want to say need the money more—but I think the circumstances are also a lot different as well. Hmm. So yeah, I, I mean, I I just don't. I don't know what the deal is. I have my own opinions and I get, like I said, I'm not going to share them now because I I'm working on something that I'd rather not share those here. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'd rather them be shared where they're going to come out first. Um, So it'd be interesting to see where this goes, but we got a lot of Russian ransomware happening versus other countries. Yeah. Um, You know, read what you want into that. Um, But you know, that's, that, that's kind of where we're at with things. So 
Cyber attack on Illinois' attorney general office appears far worse than first thought. Well, no kidding, because Andre and I talk about this all the time. Yep. Um, Illinois' top law enforcement agency has been under attack now since at least April 10th, almost a month. Um, ransomware gang penetrated the attorney general's computers and took control of countless confidential files containing case information and personal data, essentially locking down the system's office and statewide. Holy crap. Uh, I mean, dude, this is like the people prosecuting criminals and yeah. the people investigating crimes. And now we have cyber or uh, cyber criminals stealing these records. The evidence, the tactics, like the cases, the informants, like all of this information is like you know, it's not even, I mean, I know I mentioned emails and social security numbers and things like that, but there's just so much more to it that like, it's going to be like so devastating to the, to the citizens of, of this, um, of this place. I mean, I'm just curious as to this statement here. That's why the breach needs to be sealed. Precautions put in place, safety measures put in place going forward so that people will feel comfortable moving forward with their case at the Illinois uh, Attorney General's office. I mean, the damage is done. You can't reseal the seal when the seal's been broke. <laughs> right? Am I wrong on that? Sorry, I was mute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, am I wrong on on like you once the breach seal's been broken and the trust has been broken? I mean, yeah. Other than proving to people you're taking this seriously now, and 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 you know the the time time being your friend, people will rebuild that trust. Um, but as the article goes on in the state, Russian hackers. Hey, there's our friends, the Russians again. Mm -hmm. Uh, penetrated the Illinois election database, stealing mo millions of voter records that resulted in shoring up of the election system. So another example of a company getting hit or a group getting hit or an organization getting hit and then doing more after the boom than before the boom, right? Mm -hmm. And when did this originally um, happen? Well, that was April 10th. April, okay, okay. So yeah, they've been under, you know, this was written... May 4th, yeah, three, three days ago. So, and it's, agency has been under attack now since April 10th. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a month that they've been dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Right? So, all right. So these two things are related. And I just wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit because when the FBI and, and the cybersecurity information uh, authority for the United States, CISA, comes out with these reports. To me, when they come out with them and the timing of them is usually because they're trying to warn people that, people, look, these are being actively exploited, but we're seeing it actively exploited because you people are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right? So, I want to break this down that this the this is a a a, um, a report written by multiple uh, uh, intelligence organization, the NSA, the FBI, and CISA, uh, along with other countries, have had input into this. SVR cyber actors are known and tracked in open sources, APT29, Cozy Bear, and the Duke. So SVR cyber is the group that basically broke into SolarWinds, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're getting information on how these guys were basically able to get into various organizations, including SolarWinds and the affiliates of SolarWinds who were initially attacked. That you know they were SolarWinds was attacked through a partner, uh, a develop a, a software development company, and that company was the first one to get hacked, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Right. So that's what this report is, and the reason they put this out is because they still see this stuff being actively exploited, right? 
So we're talking about multiple vulnerabilities that have been discovered. And some of these have been out, have been discovered a long time ago. The only one that's recent, or you know, the only one that's recent is the VMware vSphere. As you can see with these numbers here, the CVE and the next four numbers, that's the year this was released and discovered. So the FortiGate vulnerability has been out there since 2018, almost three years. And that's still being actively exploited because people who have Fortinet routers are not updating their routers to the latest firmware. They're plugging these things in and they're forgetting about them. And that's the worst thing you can do when it comes to cybersecurity. The Cisco one. That's a CVE from 2029, 2019 or 2019, 2019 Oracle, 2019 Zimbra, 2019 PulseSecure, 2019 Citrix, 2019 Kibana. Then we go into 2020, another VMware flaw, 2020 F5 Big IP, 2020 now, Andre, what the heck do VPNs do for people? It connects you from one end to another. Right. So when you're working from home and you want to get to the work file share or get to the work, you know, intranet or CRM, and it's behind the firewall, you use a VPN to get in. And all of these VPNs that are listed here or these remote access in the case of VMware and the Oracle WebLogic and Pulse Secure. Actually, Pulse Secure was their VPN. These are all ways you can access things remotely. So you kind of have to leave them open to the internet, right? But mm -hmm. you're supposed to be connecting to them securely with a username or password or a certificate or however your IT uh, people set up the security for you to authenticate yourself. These are vulnerabilities that allow hackers to get around all that and still get into your system. So right here in big, bold print, and quite frankly, the FBI is being kind of nice here. They're calling you guys network defenders, and I think that's like <laughs> giving you too much credence, quite frankly. But network defenders should ensure that security patches are applied promptly following CVE announcements for products they manage. And I just want to go back to this list real quick because these CVEs have been out for so long that, like, you can't call yourself a network defender <laughs> if your environment still has these CVEs, in my opinion, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, people need to start doing the right thing. I hope that CEOs start hearing what we're saying and kind of get in tune to this stuff so they can go to the people that they've hired to run their shit and say, are, are we good? Like, did you patch? You know, I know I, know I wrote a check to Fortinet for something, do, did we have the router affected here and is it patched? Now, you would hope that they would be proactive and come to you. But if that's not happening, it's time for you as a CEO to turn around and start asking some questions. Right. Yeah. So, so true. Anything you want to add to that before I move on? No. Um, and if not, then I, I guess soon we're going to be seeing notes on people's routers that says, hey, the FBI came in to do this for you on your right. behalf. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Just, or, or, or they're going to get a phone call or an email or a knock on the door saying, hey, just so you know, we had, we had agents remote into your router and disable X, Y, and Z. I mean, I don't, I don't think they can get in there and remove any kind of or, – or they're not going to update a firmware because it's not possible. Uh, but if a group puts in a foothold, mm -hmm. like puts in a malicious – so, like, once they get in, what they can do is they can put a backdoor in that's not related to the vulnerability. It's their own backdoor that they built. So when you patch your firewall, because they were already in there and they built, they put, like, a second backdoor in, they're going to use that backdoor to get in. Yeah. The FBI did, in the case of Microsoft, is exactly that. They identified backdoors that the Chinese had put in. So in the event that the exchange server got patched, they still had ways to get in. The FBI went in and got rid of those. And, yeah. And I don't think it's actually a bad idea. If the government can, and, you know, produce the list and, and send it via mail with an official letterhead that says, 
we've identified your router as being outdated. Please contact whoever you contact as your IT vendor. Right. You know. So last last topic I'm going to jump into today and kind of builds off of the IoT stuff we've talked about previously on, on the podcast. And I want to kind of tie this to what I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, which is, you know, the average person needs to start considering all these devices that they're putting in their home from the aspect of somebody has to maintain them. They can't just plug them in and set them and forget it. Just like I talked about with the Fortinet routers and gateways, you can't just plug them in and, and leave them there for 10 years and, and let them run and expect that you're not going to have to do some kind of maintenance to them. It's the same thing with all this stuff. And we're building these smart cities, right, with sensors and cameras and and and, and uh, 5G radios and, and all that stuff is being built into all these devices. And companies are pretty at a, at a pretty good clip are slapping these devices on the sides of buildings, inside of buildings, um, and you're becoming part of this network and this ecosystem that's going to allow, it's that big data that you keep hearing about, that's going to allow governments and companies to make decisions around the data that these devices are collecting. And I know that's a lot. I just said a lot there and there's a lot behind what I just said. And a little bit, a little bit of it is even scary to me um, that we're going to have all these devices all over the place that are going to be able to kind of collect data. And then somebody's going to be able to analyze that data. Um, not that it's not happening today, but the scale it's moving towards is just like, you know, and as you can see on this map here, like you can just see like how this is laid out. So, what this talks about is, is you know, spy bosses are warning cities like you need to look after this stuff. You can't just start throwing up these sensors. You can't start building out this infrastructure without having somebody maintaining these devices and making sure that they're not being hacked, not from just, hey, is the firmware up to date, but monitoring the devices to determine if somebody has a foothold on that thing because they figured out a vulnerability before the rest of the world did. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, it. this all goes back down to the home too, right? This is exactly what each individual needs to do at the home level. So like we're moving towards a point in society, in my opinion, where updating devices is going to be like cutting your grass. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like that's where I think we're going because it's like you own a home, you're either paying for your grass to get cut, like assuming you have a lawn, um, you're paying for your grass to get cut or you're paying for, you know, or you're doing it yourself, right? And that's going to be the same thing with this stuff. You're either going to hire a security company to take care of this stuff in your house. And, and on this scale, cities are going to have to hire IOT experts to install, manage and maintain and analyze the devices for compromise. And, and, and it's going to happen in those levels, right? The first level being somebody's got to get them out there and somebody's got to install them and make them work. The second level is, okay, somebody's got to monitor these things and make sure the firmware is up to date and make sure that they're running and they're efficient. And then the third thing is, is somebody actually looking at the telemetry on these devices and what are these devices doing? What are they collecting? What are they transmitting? Um, and there's going to be a big market for that. There's going to be a huge market for companies that can go in and analyze and figure out the telemetry on these devices. Mm -hmm. and homeowners are going to have to do the same thing or they're going to start getting hacked left and right too. Yep. So right. they're going to be turned off like, you know, it's going to get, I mean, right now it's, 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 it's your, I'm going to say just your social security number, right? Because we're reading these articles all the time and we're just seeing social security number and thinking like, oh, all right. But I mean, it's going to be street lights. It's going to be your thermostat. It's going to be your, it's going to be driverless cars. 
Yeah. Oh man, don't go there. That's, right. Well, I'm going there because it, that's where we're going. I mean, that's where we're going. Like they're building this so they can monitor the city. Yeah. In my opinion, so we can deploy driverless cars. Like, mm -hmm. like, because in order for driverless cars to be effective in a city, you can't use satellites like you can in the suburbs and, and you know the rural areas. These sensors are going to be how these vehicles move about in the cities. And, and that's really where we're moving to. Smarter cars, smarter robots, you know, um, and all these sensors that are all over the place that give people data and information. So, um, you know, it's good stuff. It's good stuff that I think we're moving towards and it's going to help humanity and society uh, and economies around the world uh, be faster, be better, but it doesn't come without a cost. And the cost yeah. is security right now. And people need to pay attention to it. Yeah. So when you have, you know, the NSC, the GH, the GCHQ, um, and probably the CIA involved in this and saying like, Hey guys, you know, we got, we have to make sure that we're doing this the right way. This is what it means. And then and like, we gave you a little bit of detail as to what that's looking like, how that's going to roll out. Um, but we can't just throw these devices and say, oh, look, we threw up a device and now we have this great technology, right? We got to make sure that we're maintaining it and keeping it secure. Do you, do you have any, um, there are disadvantages of doing auto update, but are you opposed to just making sure yeah. that these devices are uh, auto updated? I, I mean, I'm completely against auto update. I don't auto update anything because <laughs> it's just, you've been burnt. I've been burned too many times. No, no, definitely. 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 I mean, you auto update, you, you know, or, you know, the, I guess the thought process there is right. You auto update and your stuff's up to date. You just check the box or update this when an update comes out. And I'm saying like, you walk in and the device isn't working and you're like, oh, why isn't working? Well, yeah. it updated <laughs> and the update failed or, you know, um, I don't know. My my whole philosophy on, on that is you've got to run those updates in a test environment and you got to test them first to make sure they don't take down the systems um, wherever humanly possible, right? When you're talking about similar systems, similar devices, you can do it. If you're talking about different devices in an operation, like for instance, Mr. Business Owner, if you didn't buy all your computers at once, you probably have different flavors of computers throughout your office. You technically can't really do a mass deployment test. So like when somebody comes to you and says, well, we should buy all new computers at once, this is the reason why. It, it increases your security posture for one, because now you can take those same systems, maybe one, two, or three of them, put them in a test environment, and you can do things like, okay, if we apply this patch, how will this affect the computers that are in production, right? And then having the same computers and systems that are bought at the same time with, you know, same hardware, you know, no deviation in the, in the generation of, of processors and all the other components that are in the system, all that being the same, you can do these tests. When you buy them piecemeal and buy one or two, you know, every quarter and then add them or replace them, and that's what your life cycle looks like, it's really hard to do something like that. Um, so, you know, just just have that, have that knowledge, have that perspective. Um, so when, you know, like I said, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, we should buy all 50 new computers for the office, and you're like, no way. Um, that sounds stupid to me. Well, no, it's not stupid because you, now you're, you've just increased your security posture because now you don't have to patch 50 different kinds of devices, even though they're made by Dell or Lenovo or HP, and they all have that badge on it that is the same. The parts inside usually change, if not every quarter, every month. Hmm. You know, they're changing a component out from a different manufacturer. So... Anything else you want to add? No, no. So let me ask you another question. What about, uh, so yes, I guess I said no. So so when I was talking about the other auto update, definitely I agree with what you're saying on the computers, but 
talking about not necessarily something as huge as a smart city, but if we're going to that user's home or that business that has the ring camera or you know two or three of those devices, in your opinion, should those auto updates be on um, for non-critical, although camera's critical, but we're not talking about like a Windows 10 you know, production suite. I'm just talking about things like that. Right. And right. So I guess my opinion is, is that you're, if you're not running a business out of your home, then that's typically you wouldn't, I would be okay with auto updates because you got to at least make sure that you're updating them. And then if, if a device does happen to, to break because of an update, we're not talking about losing money, right? Yeah. It's an inconvenience, but we're not talking about losing money. So when you're talking about residential versus commercial, there's different stakes at, at the commercial level because you, you have to maintain business continuity and people need to be able to conduct business and generate revenue. In the home, that's not the case. So if a device goes down, plus you know and I know in the commercial world, we can't run to Best Buy, Staples, or wherever and get a piece of equipment and put it in a business. At home, you can do that, right? Your firewall, your router goes down. You can go to Staples or you can go to Best Buy and you can buy a new router and put it in, right? So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be completely opposed in the home to everybody, you know, checking that box for auto-update my stuff. Um, but in a business, I absolutely would. Yeah. You're, you're, you're talking yeah. about. You're talking about potentially losing revenue, and nobody wants to be the IT guy who rolls out an update that causes the <laughs> company to lose revenue, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're about a little over an hour in. We've got a nice lengthy podcast this week. Bonus time for our listeners. Any uh, final words that you want to say before we we part? No, I'll be seeing you in person very soon. Yeah, and I are going to do a live podcast in the same room together. Yeah, yeah. That'll be a treat for everyone. So, all right, cool. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Remember, if you've gotten this far in the show, you're you're a fan, whether you realize it or not. Um, Please share us out to your your community. You can uh, head over to your favorite podcast uh, channel and uh, just – hit that share button, share us out to your social media community, your Instagram, your Facebook, your LinkedIn. It will take anywhere from 13 seconds to a hundred or 120 seconds of your life for you to write a review and share that out for us. Uh, We would really appreciate it. And don't forget we live stream this on Facebook and YouTube and the recordings are always there. So you can watch us fumble through video screens and, all the crazy things that we try to do as we produce this podcast um, on YouTube and Facebook, and you can share us out from there as well. So we appreciate it. Thanks for helping us grow the show. We'll see you all next week for episode 21 of Security Squawk, the business of cybersecurity.